0: GENERATION THROUGH EDUCATION Let's run down the halls, speak out of turn, break a few rules and have an honest conversation of why schools need to change. Join me, Sal Gordon and other rule breakers as we dig into what needs to change, why and how we can pick up the pace of education reform. I think the school bell is about to ring, so let's get ready to get real. Welcome to Regeneration Through Education. My name is Sal Gordon. I'm a hot and sweaty in the jungle Sal Gordon at the moment, and I'm the head of teaching and learning at Green School Bali. I believe that the purpose of education is to prepare people and communities for the future. I think education should be building a culture that moves us towards a sustainable future, And it's teachers that make this happen in schools. Teachers, educators, they're superheroes. And the educators at Green School Bali are some of the top, most innovative teachers on the planet. Our teachers create transformative learning experiences every day. One such educator who lives and breathes regeneration through education is Dr. Benjamin Freud, the head of upper school at Green School Bali. And we're super lucky to have him here to talk about how he is educating for sustainability welcome Benjamin thank you thank you so much it's awesome that you're here and um, we've got a lot of fun to have in about 40 minutes a lot of sweaty hot fun in the jungle how are you going with it today I've, I've got the permagrime that I've gotten used to and I love it and that's just how we how we roll I don't know if it's the podcast or me running around trying to find a quiet place on this wallless campus um, but I'm pretty sure the humidity in the last half an hour just sort of crept <laughs> up and up and up. And I'll be surprised if it doesn't rain sometime through here. i um, really excited to talk to you about stuff. Um, we're going to talk, re- uh, dive deeply into something that you know a lot more than me about. And we're happy, really happy to share that emergent learning. But first, we want to get to know you just a little bit. So let's go way back to when you were a kid. What's a favorite memory from when you were a child at school?
1: Uh, I didn't really like school and I've done a lot of school. So I love school now, but I I grew into that when I was finally able to kind of delve into the things and questions that I was interested in. But when I was young, my favorite memory of school, in fact, the first thing that came to my mind, I'm going to go with that, is when we had a field trip uh, at the end of the school year and we were in the forest and we played games and played tag and just were completely free to bond. And that is what I remember
0: most, actually not being in school. Mm. Unfortunately, it's pretty much a common answer <laughs> yeah sometimes i get homework as the favorite memory but most of it's about building relationships or being mm-hmm. out of school and activating your learning uh, learning in the real world yeah it's a very common answer okay so i think i was pretty much the same well no i sort of like school um i was good at school um but i found a lot especially even as an educator i found that a lot of what i was forced to learn uh, wrote learn and then regurgitated in an exam Sort of a waste of time, which is hard as an educator. Are there things that you remember learning at school that should now you think, well, why did I bother? Why were we learning this?
1: Yeah, just about. I mean, you know, just about anything really in terms of, in fact, I was having this conversation yesterday about chemistry. I don't remember anything about chemistry or physics, but I'm really interested in chemistry and physics today. Mm. So something didn't quite ring back then. I could have been age, maturity, but probably I don't see the point. Um, I didn't see it back then. Now I kind of see how it fits more into my framework and my worldview. Uh, what else? History. And now I'm a historian. I've got a PhD in in, in history. I love mm. history. I always have, even back then, but I didn't really see the point of learning dates. It meant nothing to me.
0: Dates uh, and names. I almost failed history
1: in, in high school. I remember that. I almost failed it because I just mm. I just didn't care. And, and now I, I live and breathe it so much.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, some of the history, oh, I'm Australian, so some of the history, I don't know. Where you did your school, but Australian history during the you know 70s and 80s at school, um, a lot of it was lies actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it probably fits into the waste of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's a book. Sorry, there's there's a book that's called uh, Lies My History Teacher Told Me. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I can name. I probably could write that book too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Unfortunately, but now you're an educator, so school is something that you loved enough or learning for you to be back into schools and and coming back in as a teacher and as an educator. Give us a short intro, like a bio of you as an educator.
1: Yeah, so I education is my second career. Uh, now, just just to kind of signpost things, I I absolutely love school. Uh, I've I've spent, I think, I counted like fifteen or sixteen years after high school in schools, getting various pieces of paper, uh, mostly as an indulgent way of exploring things that I'm interested in. And when I retire, uh, I've got six years more than my wife, so I'll probably get another PhD just for the pleasure of learning and doing things. I, I just absolutely adore it. And, and nowadays, what what gets me going is just this idea, I, just this idea of exploration and possibilities. And and it's it's not about what you need to learn, but about why you need to learn it, and specifically how that might make the world a better place, and have it mm. be really values driven. That to me is critical, given you know the ecological breakdown that we're facing as a civilization
0: and as yeah. a planet. Yeah, and that's what this. That's what this podcast, that's what this school's all about, that regeneration through education, activated learning that makes the world a better place rather than mm-hmm. learning for an exam. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when did you join Green School? Uh, in uh, July, August of, so this summer of this year. Yeah, six months ago. That's right. What, what was your motivation? Why did you come to Green School?
1: Uh so going back to the journey that you mentioned, uh, I started off in consulting, so I've had quite a bit of experience. Uh, you know, I mean, I started my, my career in, in Silicon Valley. In uh, and, and this goes to answer your question, but I started my career in Silicon Valley in the late '90s. Uh, people who were changing the world. So I've always had that um, that edge of of wanting to change things, uh, and then that got. Kicked out of me when I was doing financial services consulting, and then actually you're still changing the world, but not necessarily for the better. And that's when I went into education, simply because I find kids so interesting. I get so much energy from them. Uh, so why did I join Green School? I only applied to three schools. I and if it wasn't Green School, if it wasn't a school that was courageous enough to really uh, respond to ecological breakdown, I just wasn't interested. Because then I just I, I don't want to be part of the problem. Um, and that's the opportunity here if I didn't get into green school, if you guys hadn't hired me, I I would have done something completely different. Um, just gotten out of education. Um, that's not to, um, talk bad about education itself, but I would have found a way to contribute that was maybe parallel
0: to education, but in ways that meant something to me. Hmm. Well, I'm glad you're here, mate. (laughs) (laughs) So head of upper school at green school, you get to do a lot of fun things. You probably get to do a lot of. No, I know you get to do a lot of challenging things too, mm-hmm. but tell us about a few of your favorite learning experiences that you see in the middle school and the high school here.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Uh, and and it's really hard to pick. And it's not because there's so many, but because it kind of all comes into one. And my, my thing is really to get kids to kind of understand. So i you know, to try to get kids to understand exactly why they're doing something, why it might make a lot of sense. And I think in schools, there's so much of this, why are you doing this? Because we were told to, or because we need the right answers. My my favorite learning experiences are, are just putting it out there that they're actually, there are no right answers. We just respond. Um, and and probably taking things to places that I didn't expect they would go because it's the learners who are, and, and that includes me, who are shaping that experience. So it could be just responding to something that happens, uh, responding to the environment, responding to a question, exploring different paths, and deepening learning based on really the experience that we share together, rather than because it's the third bullet point on a syllabus that somebody wrote somewhere else 10 years ago.
0: Mm. You were co-teaching a class last term, I don't know Mm -hmm. if you're doing something similar this term. Uh, It was an entrepreneurial learning unit. Is that right? Tell us a little yeah. bit about that class, because that seems like a fun thing to talk to people about. So
1: so um, as head of upper school, it's, it's a lot of it's, it's a lot about leadership, pedagogical leadership. There's some admin there. Um, but one of the things that I've always done uh, as a head of school or as a head of teaching and learning in my previous school is teach. Because mm. I think that you need to earn your street cred. You need to get close to, to really what, what it's like to be in the classroom. And that's really the reason I, I'm here because let's face it, if I wanted to work with adults, I could probably do it somewhere else, and you know have, have, yeah. have a different life. So we did a class called Eco Entrepreneurship, and the question that we pose, the generative question that we pose is, how might we create wealth that's more than money and 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 we're thinking about our contribution as entrepreneurs without thinking necessarily about making money. I mean we need to make money in order to survive to sustain the business. But how is it that we might make a difference in the world? And the only success criterion that we had was by the end of the unit, you will pitch your business to investors, and, and that's it. And, and you you know the success criterion is, can you get money out of these investors? And when you think about everything that has to be done to do so, and you think that they're impact investors, so already it has to be something eco-friendly, whatever that means. Uh, you think about the presentation, the, the lean business plan, the, the ideation, the, the convincing, the, all of these components yeah. that actually get to a result, that's what got really exciting. So we didn't need all these other stuff that go there. They're built into the cake because all you want is to get money out mm. of the investors
0: so that you can launch your business. And, and that was amazing. And you can't do that with like real world uh, learning outcomes. You can't do that with without research, without communication, right. without collaboration, that's without… Right. Uh, problem solving without that's thinking right. creatively—you uh, can't do that without a strong value set. You can't. That's right. All of those are, well, like you said, part of the cake. That's right. Yeah. What,
1: what, one, one very quick example is uh, one of the one of the products. Um, their whole strategy was to have retail outlets in 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 Bali. And, well, that's fantastic. But as an investor, I want to see letters of intent. Yeah. So they went and they got real letters of intent from real businesses. Now, a sixteen-year-old doing that?
0: Yeah. And that's, that's
1: the evidence of learning right there. How am I going to get a real business to believe in me to say, I will give you shelf space
0: for your product? That's massive. Yeah. It sounds like a connection to that first question I asked you, you know, favorite memory. Yeah, that's You're right. Creating opportunities for real lifelong favorite memories of mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. I bet you that's going to be one of them for those students. I hope so. So- Let's deep dive a little bit further. You have discussed with me and in our team, and even uh, I think a global audiences the concept of um, emergent learning. Um, give us a brief overview of what that is, and and then try and go from the big picture to the small, mm-hmm. uh, macro to micro in terms of what emergent learning looks like in a classroom.
1: And, and we kind of have already with this eco entrepreneurship story. But if I if I rewind a little mm-hmm. bit, uh, mm-hmm. emergence is really a concept. Actually, it's not even a concept, it's a reality and a concept at the same time. It lives in that space of superposition, but it's it's 3.8 billion years old. All life emerges, all life learns. Learning isn't an accumulation of knowledge, like you know, Paulo Freire and, and his banking system. Every cell that we have as it interacts with its environment is learning and is changing through that. So, so that's all it is. It's this idea that we are all in this together. And our specific moment, in a specific moment in time, in a specific space, space, time, we are in this relationship with our environment from which we cannot extricate ourselves. And that is the learning. And the learning happens on, you know, explicitly, implicitly, consciously, unconsciously, But more than anything, much like life, learning happens through its own self. We don't know where that might go. So when I say, for instance, so that's the high level. When I say, for instance, this eco entrepreneurship class, the only success criterion is to get money out of an investor. And that sounds very extractive, but we all need money for businesses. We start at point A, that's kind of the horizon of point B. How we get there, we don't know. And -hmm. that's where it emerges. So it's, you know, I I keep saying it's, it's the rewilding of learning as nature, but it's not the wild west. We have something that's specific that's open-ended, yes, but with boundaries. And we know how it feels to be successful before we get there. But how we get there, we're not sure. And there's some kind of map or landscape, but we're drawing it and designing it as we go. So the learning emerges because it takes a life on of four based on, on our on our situation. Um, a very, you know, so 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 that is completely different from we've got a, a standardized test at the end, which isn't emergent learning, that's mechanistic learning. That's just learning. I, I I try to value that our life so so it's new but it's not new because it's 3.8 billion years old and we cannot help but learn in emergent ways yeah
0: yeah awesome you do you see it in other classes or other learning experiences you know in your six months here one semester here you you you're bringing this up to us a lot and we're it's it's helping us evolve and improve do you see it in some of the existing, Programs, courses, units around the school. Already. Well, I mean, what,
1: yeah, I mean, we, we we've got courses here uh, in, in in the various uh, spaces that we have, where where there, like, I I think, for instance, of uh, um, th- there was a, a a literacy course or a literature course where they really looked at myth, and then some, you know, and then it came out this whole bringing in different traditions from different cultures, and there was there was puppet theater that was there. Mm-hmm. Now, while that might be a performance that seems to be quite. Um, Structured where we have to have certain uh, physical spaces and certain stories and certain ways to, to work with that, it, it it actually I know that the story they didn't know they were going to do shadow puppetry at the beginning, but it kind of came in with the student learning what their interests were, where it was going to go, and how we might represent um, to the world what we've learned and the stories that we tell. Mm-hmm. So even things that have tangible outcomes are still emerge as we respond. With, with the learners in the room. And that next unit, maybe next time they might do, I don't know, interpretive dance or, or paintings or something like that.
0: It's just opening up to those possibilities. Mm. I bet you there's, if any educator sitting there, there must be some educator. There's educators watching. Um, how do you plan? How does an educator plan to be more emergent in the creation of a learning experience, in the design? Because it's one thing just to walk into a classroom at the start of a 10-week period and go, right, at the end of this ten-week period, I want you to be able to do this, and that doesn't seem enough planning. Is there something we need to rethink about our structured, traditional way of, you know, planning the outcomes, the lesson activities, lesson by lesson? What do we do with the planning to get more emergent? I think the first question we have to
1: ask ourselves is why is this worth learning? Why? Why? Why are we doing this? That's the first mm-hmm. question, and that, mm-hmm. that's kind of like the seeds of, of the learning piece. Uh, the specific outcomes we kind of have to see. So let, let me rewind a little bit if, if, if we really think about it. um, th- This idea of outcome to me is really uh, overrepresented in schools of what the outcome is. And I think about more outcome being a signpost on this nonlinear road between wonder and contribution. So why is it worth learning? That, that desire to, to engage in, in our lives in the learning process is kind of the wonder part. We, we can't ask questions without wonder. Um, and, and and that's really the excitement. That's the embodiment of, of learning. That's, that's really the excitement there. The outcomes are really important, but really the outcomes need to have a purpose. And, and that might be the contribution piece. So, the planning is difficult to do because we could plan for outcomes, but we're not not necessarily able to work with the wonder piece. Or we can kind of try to contribute to, to the world, but we don't exactly know how that will land because that ends up being out of our control. So I think it's a it's a it's more of this um, this this um, you know this this feedback loop of planning. We're going to do something. Something's going to happen. We're going to work mm. with that. Uh, it's it's a little bit of an oscillating process so that we can kind of see where our intentions are rather than a plan. And I intend to, to talk about lean, I don't know, lean business case or whatever, something like that. And and, and we have these, these loose structures, but much like with life, life doesn't have a plan, but it doesn't have endless possibilities either. Hmm. It tries things, sometimes it succeeds, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes life succeeds, sometimes it doesn't. And it works within this, this boundary frame that we just move towards a horizon. So it's not all over the place, but it's the confidence in our relationships with the learning experience and the learners who are part of that experience Mm. to to kind of get to where we want to go, which might be different from where we initially were, and just responding and kind of containing it together, again, as an oscillating feedback loop process. I don't know if I'm answering properly, but I just know
0: that having 10 weeks of everyday planned doesn't work. Doesn't work. Waste of time. Wonder. Mm -hmm. I love that wonder is a part of a high school students Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. learning experience because we Mm -hmm. often think let's leave the wonder, you know, even at green school, we talk about, you know, environmental stages of readiness and we know that our younger students are, you know, it's just activating or, or maintaining and and nourishing that awesome wonder they have Mm -hmm. with the world and people and cultures and butterflies and things that are emergent in their life all of Mm -hmm. the time. But is this, is it something that you find high school students are a little bit weird about to start with because you'd be explicit about this in your teaching, I I expect. Sometimes. Again, you have to feel the room a little bit. But but the way we work with it is we
1: start off with generative questions. Generative questions being open-ended questions that generate more questions than responses. And I don't use the word answers on purpose because answers are definite, definitive, definite, definite. But responses tend to be something that might change later on. So by asking these generative questions and starting out with that, we hope to pique wonder, curiosity. Big questions. Um, How might language uh, shape the world or shape our way of thinking? How Hmm. might language be something that's powerful? How might systems need... need uh, to have thriving environments in order to, to be able to, to boss. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just kind of clumsily walking through this, but these questions that invite other questions, that's where the emergence come because then you're working with the questions from the students. And that's really the, the, where the wonder comes in mm. before you generate a question that comes from yourself. There's that moment that you may not realize
0: that is all about wonder. And that's when it's meaningful rather than just asking a question. But you can plan for it, but you can't, make a day-to-day plan for it you can have the intention you can have the intention intention is a different thing
1: um a a plan ends up being a very algorithmic algorithmic way if i do this then this will happen but life doesn't happen like that Mm. No, no, no two trees are the same and no two learning experiences are the same so we have an intention to get somewhere and we walk towards that horizon but a plan, which is very much this, 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 and this, and that, is is not the way we live, not the way we learn. So I, I don't want to make it seem again like it's loosey-goosey. It's not. It's hmm. actually allowing life and learning to be more wild in a way that is much like life that has to happen. I'll give you an example: your, your, your body, as we change, as as we evolve, as as a, as, a, as as humans, as animals, there's not an infinite number of possibilities of our evolution it happens within a certain frame but we can't plan for that it would mm. just happen we go taller bigger wider i don't know get opposable grayer. thumbs things like that grayer whatever um because because of our interaction with our environment
0: mm. yeah it's awesome it's awesome i'm actually I, I i've lost track of the questions because i've started thinking about some of my own teaching practice and wondering how emergent it is um you find it in our. Uh, you I, I see it now I, I see it more in in our capstones mm-hmm. very emergent learning experience mm-hmm. where it's it's the individual's uh, generative question mm-hmm. that fuels a passion that activates uh, learning of all different types mm-hmm. um and leads to probably more questions and more questions so that generative question concept i see it in the capstones mm-hmm. um i see it probably in our thematics programs too Uh, which are very, when I taught thematics in middle school, they were very open-ended. You know, I might teach a a thematic on production and consumption to grade sevens, but, you know, maybe that first lesson is a little bit about, you know, whole picture, and it's a little bit of traditional teacher talk and talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, production, consumption, what is it, but then it's open, and when you open that to the individual learner to ask generative questions about something that they're connected to or something that they're passionate about or something that's important or big in their world, whether it's a phone or sports or food or fashion or whatever it is, uh, it it opens the the learning experience to be emergent. That's right. Uh, And it opens the possibilities of generative questions, generating more questions. What if I do this? (laughs) What happens here? Why do we do this? What, what is the result? Yeah, I see it. I see it in a lot of our programs.
1: It, the, mm. the, the key the key here is you should always have more questions than than responses always mm. have one more question you know they, they, there's this idea that you know we, we, we might have all heard of is, is knowledge is like a sphere the, the bigger it gets the more in contact with ignorance it is so we, we we have to have more questions once we stop having questions there's no more learning and so that's where it's it's kind of thinking as life that, we keep on learning so long as we have questions and we should seek questions, not answers. Mm -hmm. And exactly how you describe it. You just kind of go in all these different directions with more and more and more questions. And the more you, you explore those questions, the more it opens up avenues for more questions.
0: There's an element of chaotic learning in Mm -hmm. it too and chaos. And that's beautiful. Um, Beautiful. And none of us probably went to teachers college or university to, um, and got taught about, chaotic learning or creating, allowing chaos in the classroom rather than, you know, I think we're probably all taught the same way to be teachers 20 years ago, of, you know, very set curriculum, very set assessments, very uh, set resources. Um, and, and one of the things that I when I speak to teachers in other schools and they ask about this type of learning experience, it's like, well, how do you take control? Um, what would you say to that?
1: Yeah. So chaos is a is again. I'm going back to the principles of nature and nature's paradigm. Mm. There's chaos. Nature is chaotic, but there's patterns. So there's there's patterns in chaos. Mm. And how do you take control? I mean, that's exactly the wrong question to ask. Because as we've tried to take control over nature, from Francis Bacon, the Enlightenment, everything, that's when we've really fallen into this 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 this, uh, illusion that we're separate from nature, and and trying to control has contributed significantly to the ecological breakdown that we're in now. It's not about control. It's about love. It's about learning. It's about possibilities, not in a completely crazy way, but in a way that allows for things to just be contextualized, be a moment to moment. And really that means that we have to connect with our students, with the other learners. I won't even call them mm-hmm. students. I'll call them learners because I learned mm-hmm. from them as much as they, 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 they hopefully learn from me. But, but you have to have those relationships in order to understand where this is going you're forced to have those relationships. And and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. As opposed to walking through the PowerPoint slides and talking at them, you'll need to have a relationship. And in fact, I'm gonna go as far because I'm also very interested in AI. And, and this is, I know I've gotten a lot of flack for this on, on, on many uh, platforms, I'm gonna say it, is that when you take generative AI and you take the metaverse and you combine them with a headset, we no longer need any teacher to chalk and talk because the, 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 the computer, to, to be simplistic, will know better than the, any teacher, probably better than yourself, what it is that you need to do in order to get to that next algorithm outcome. That's going to go away. That whole style is going to go away because it will just feel a lot right now in terms of generative AI, in terms of like personalization. I mean, this has been a story for like years, but now it's even more so helping teachers grade, saving them time, but you're just doing automated worksheets it's now time to start thinking about the relationship that we have with each other
0: and as nature.
1: Hmm. Awesome.
0: I don't know if you, did you hear just that? (laughs) I've just had a truck pull up about 10 meters away and let's see how this goes. I hope the sound doesn't go crazy at my end. All right. um, This is a podcast called regeneration through education. So how is emergent learning regeneration through education? How is it, Making the world better. How is it educating for the needs of now and the future? Probably in many yeah. ways.
1: So, so that
0: that's an excellent question,
1: and I think it comes down to the concept of regeneration and and what that might mean. And 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 unfortunately, um, you know, we have to keep hold of that word before it gets co opted too much. Um, that that's something that you know, if we think about regeneration being life, life going in circles, nature wastes no energy; everything becomes food in in nature so, so it, it's about keeping that energy of life keep making sure that that it that everything that happens in nature is for a purpose and feeds something else and and it's all driven by that So the emergence again is is this idea of life and this idea of, of uh, you know regeneration is an emergent process and an and emergence is a regenerative process because it is about life it's about cycles it's about possibilities um, and, and the education piece is again thinking, as nature, how we are going to be able to have relationships with ourselves, with our ecosystem. But the, the key here, and this is the part that often gets uh, a little bit forgotten, uh, not so much about, you know, in, in these conversations, is the values piece. I am unashamedly a proponent of values-based education Mm. because there's no such thing as objectivity in education. It is always a political agenda. Schools are political places and we have to take a stand to, I shouldn't say stand because that sounds too fixed, but we we have to start channeling that energy to to, to really respond to ecological breakdown. That's where it comes forth. The emergence to be able to start to exist as nature so that we can make those moment-to-moment decisions to, you know, response
0: to ecological breakdown. Mm. Well, can you hear, can you hear any of this work? I can't hear it. I can't hear it. I'll forget about it. I'll just try not to be distracted. Values-based learning is emergent in itself Mm -hmm. because our values are not rigid. Mm -hmm. They're they're bamboo. They bend. Mm -hmm. They can be strong, but they, they need to bend.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, how, how do you think we can be better, maybe at Green School or just in general, schools in general, at, at creating values-based learning experiences?
1: Mm. So it goes back to this uh, wonder and contribution. Again, it's not a line, it's a non-linear, maybe it's, kind of, it's a more of a circle than anything mm. else. But but the wonder is that generative question, the, the excitement, the connection, the, the the fact that it means something. The values is the contribution piece. I don't think anything is worth learning unless it makes the world a better place. Now, somebody's going to say, well, what does better mean? But that's where the values come in. That's where the ethics come in. Or, you know, if you, if you want to get really geeky, the, you know, the, the, I mean, you know, the ethical onto epistemology, or whatever. But that, that's, that's our stuff. Like, what, are, what do we stand for? I, again, I shouldn't use that word, but, but what, what are, is it that we want to, to channel our energies? We have to have things be important. It has to be worth learning. But I don't know if it's worth learning unless, it contributes positivity, thriving of all life. That's what matters. Mm. Why should I, I mean? We we can learn great things about chemistry, but if it means being able to extract better from the soil in order to do something with with oil or gas, I, I'm not sure that's really the learning that we want. If we want to learn something, where yes, we're able to 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 learn how to take tests in 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 systems that are. Uh, that 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 normalise um, uh, the the results that is put it on a bell curve so that it's actually in my interest for my friends to do poorly because the the worse they do the better I am on the curve that's not worth learning mm. so so that's what I, what really matters does it help all life thrive those are my values
0: in my ethical decisions mm. it's why I became an educator actually so I was fluffing around doing all these fun things and then I was thinking hang on a minute. Um, there's a purpose. Everyone's got. There needs to be a purpose to this, and uh, my love for teaching and learning just channeled me into education. Probably a little bit later than most people, but it became a values-based opportunity for me, and it's something that I thought schools had a responsibility for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in in the Australian, in the Australian uh, national schools, the curriculum there, the values is, is something that's probably on a couple of websites and in a few social emotional learning programs, but it's not something that underlies the reason we are learning something. That's, that's awesome. Right. And, and, and what, yeah. one of
1: the sorry really quickly, one of the things that I've caught myself doing twice and I'm really making a conscious effort to stop saying is I stand with where I stand for because right. metaphorically that means I stand in place. When we should always respond to changing circumstances, so we shouldn't stand. Mm-hmm. We should um, we we should go with, or I don't know what 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 the another term might be, but that language is very important. Um, that we that we we have to be open. It was what John Maynard Keynes who said, the, "When the facts change, I change my mind." What do you do? And I think we kind of have to go with that yeah. uh, of not standing, but actually walking towards something, towards a horizon, and hopefully with a bunch of others.
0: Yeah. Oh, we could just keep talking. I want to have a little bit of fun and then I can see a chat. I can see a number 12 in the chat at the moment going, uh, we do uh, open up for some questions. But before we do that, let's have a little bit of fun with my yep. teacher word association. So um, blank your mind, mm-hmm. um, put your educator hat on and mm-hmm. tell me what first comes to your mind when I say these words. You ready? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Learning. Fun. Nature. Trees. Teachers fun exams uh pencil (laughs) textbooks uh heavy classrooms confining the future digital Mm, cool well that's that was a little bit of fun i I think i'm going to add some more words for that now just just bear with me while i um open up the chat um i can see a there's a question. for I'm just going to go top to the bottom, a question mm-hmm. for, for later. Within your eco-entrepreneurship course, which sounds mm-hmm. like great dragon's den for the real world, was there an opportunity to look at degrowth with the youngsters and considering capitalism and rewilding economics?
1: Oh, what a fantastic question. So degrowth is certainly something that I'm interested in. And I think that that would probably have taken a little bit longer to go into that. But because we had to have certain... Um, Criteria. It it had to make the world um, more um, just you know a thriving world in whatever that meant to the students. So we didn't look at degrowth, but certainly it wasn't about uh, accumulating money. It was about um, contributing to others. Uh, so so great question. We didn't, but I could definitely see that be part of that uh, of that of that experience.
0: And um, kiora to to Nick Lane, um, how you go, Nick? Uh, Another question here. Leveraging the seventh generation principle of Mm -hmm. indigenous wisdom, Mm -hmm. what opportunities do you take to imagine how the world of education and learning may look and feel in seven generations from now? So this idea
1: of seven generations, you know, this longer term piece is so incredibly important. Uh, and and as a historian, you know, I, I try to take a longer view, um, but that's more of an academic piece. I, I don't come from a, a cultural background, an indigenous background that sees that. So everything I've learned, I've learned secondhand or thirdhand. Um, but, you know, if, if the question is what opportunities, you know, do you take to imagine the world of education learning in, in seven generations? It, it's, I, I don't think we'll have schools. I just simply don't think we'll have schools. I think they'll they will be, completely obsolete, because even this generation will have to find careers, We'll have to change careers three times, they say, not just three yeah. jobs like us, three times yeah. the careers. So we'll always be learning. So so there will be these places of learning that are intergenerational where we will all learn from one another, and there will no longer be schools as we currently know it, which frankly, schools are only one hundred and fifty years old anyway. Um, uh, so so I, I can't see that happening. i I could see it more being, places where we have to, uh, if you really want to go there, we, we have to work within uh, our, our localities and everything will be locally based and we will learn as place, um, place-sourced mm-hmm. learning. That, that's, I think, what, what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Almost going back to pre-industrialized schooling and that you know Aristotle model of schooling, where, uh, the, the golden age of schooling, um mm-hmm where there were places of intergenerational learning, uh, innovation, problem solving, mm-hmm. questioning, those sorts of things. There's one more question actually. Yeah. One more question. How does emergent learning support a sense of authentic belonging as a learner, a connection to self others and the living world?
1: Yeah, I know that's the fundamental question. I think that because there are relationships, uh, with it, with we like we look at all kinds of relationships, relationships to our environment, relationships to our peers, to our to fellow learners. Um, it 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 creates a sense of belonging because you have to listen to to you have to listen to the learners. Where are they going? Mm-hmm. It's all about conferencing. It's all about asking them um where they want to take this, explicitly, implicitly, rolling with it. It's about having a place where where we're shoulder to shoulder. With the learners of all ages. We're all equals because we're going to take this together. I I, I really hope that emergent learning in itself, um, it's understood that it cannot happen without having that welcoming, fertile soil for learning, which means that we are able to, um, we have to do it together. We're in it together.
0: Mm. And and so that's belonging. Yeah. I think that's about all we've got time for, Benjamin. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Look, at Green School Bali. we've created a new model of education. We're not a perfect school, but we're learning and we're emergent in that. It's a new model of how a school can look. I don't know if you've seen this place, but it is quite beautiful. How a school can function as and within a community and how we learn and teach in our classrooms is different. And we believe that schools should be communities that educate for a sustainable future, for regeneration. We believe education's a change mechanism for regeneration. We live in a fast-changing world, we know that, with increasingly complex future challenges and opportunities. Therefore, we see that education itself needs to be fast-changing, that world, the world needs education to change. We know that. We know that the world of education needs to change for the students who are experiencing it and for the planet that we live on. It's with huge gratitude to you, Dr. Benjamin. Thank you so Thank much you. for sharing your educator superpower with us today fully we could talk and I'm pretty sure that I don't know if you want to just mention some other uh, mediums that you are out there I know there's coconut thinking but there's more there's much much more that we could dive into in terms of emergent learning do you want to plug a little bit or how can people learn more about you Um, I I want to learn more about you but how can anyone listening to this watching this can learn more about you and 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 what you're thinking
1: I appreciate that Uh, yeah so I've got a website called uh, coconut thinking it's www.coconut-thinking.com Uh, There's also a podcast, the Coconut Thinking Podcast. And if you just type that into any platform, uh, I interview some pretty cool people and I'm very lucky to be in that same space and I learn from them all the time. So Mm. um, yeah, on those platforms and I'm on LinkedIn a lot.
0: Yeah, right. Thank you once again. Thank you. Um, awesome. Uh, I had a great time, <laughs> despite the the truck and the, the stones that they were unloading, and despite the huge humidity. It's been an awesome experience hanging out with you. Thanks very much. Thanks. Sam. And um, yeah, that's a wrap, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Regeneration Through Education. Goodbye, and see you again soon. Yeah. Take Thank care. You. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Everyone. See you. Bye. Regeneration through education.